our songs this morning have been all, and, and even the children's message, have been focused on Jesus. And I love that the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In a world where there's so much change that we constantly have to deal with, there's one thing that does not change, and that is that Christ is here for us no matter what we deal with. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 3, and we're going to be reading verses 7 through 13 of Hebrews chapter 3. And I had entitled this message earlier in the week, The Power of Today, and uh I got kind of bit off more than I could chew at one point. I, I was making this outline of all the things the Bible says to do today. The problem is that sermon would not have been finished today because there was so much. And so we're just going to focus, instead of everything that the Bible says that we ought to do today, we're just going to focus on three things that we all ought to do today from this passage in Hebrews. So if you would please stand with me as we read from God's Word, reading in uh, the NIV today, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 through 13. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me. Though for 40 days they saw, 40 years, excuse me, they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter into my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, so long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we pray that we would learn these lessons about what we are to do today. And that we would make it a practice a habit, a part of our daily lives that we do these things every single day. Father, we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The word today is often in the book of Hebrews. Because the author of Hebrews, as God speaks through him and inspires him to write this book in Scripture, he is convinced that most of us have good intentions about what we will do one day, but we never get around to that one day that becomes someday, that becomes never. And he says, so instead, we need to focus on the power of doing things now, the power of doing things today on a daily basis. How many of us have said, oh, I need to reach out and touch and talk to so-and-so, and you missed it, and then something went bad in your, their life, and you think, oh, wow, I should have been there, done that. Maybe someone that you knew was nearing the end of their life. I need to get by to see so-and-so, and next thing you know, you read the obituary, and they've gone. I, I, I really ought to do this 
You really mean to, you plan to, but you just don't do it. And the author of Hebrews, inspired by God, wants to save us from that type of regret in our life. And because we do have regret, when we think those things and we know we ought to do them and we don't get around to doing them, we end up feeling regret. We may not tell anybody else, but on the inside, we're tore up because we realize, you know what? I'm busy. I do a lot of things. But if I had made time, if I had chosen to go reach out to that person, go, go encourage this one to go see such and such or do so and so, I could have done it. And I didn't do it, not because I said, no, I'm not going to do it, but because I said, I'm going to do it someday. I'm fixing to. I'm going to. I'm going to get around to. But we never did it because we didn't say, I got to do it today. And that applies to so many things, and I wish I could go into all of them. But like I said, that's so broad. But today I want us to talk about three things that God is telling us through this passage. Number one, today, number one, admit you are vulnerable. Admit that you are vulnerable. This is having the humility to admit that you are at risk to turn away from God. I know you're like, preacher, we're here on Sunday morning. We're not the ones at the lake. We're not the ones in bed. We're the Christians here who've shown up, and we believe, and we're strong. Guess what? Every person who's ever drifted away God thought those exact same things. In fact, if there was ever anybody in the history of God's dealings with man that should have never turned away from God, it would have been the generation that is being referred to in Hebrews. That is the generation who was saved and removed, taken on that exodus out of slavery in Egypt and led to the very brink of the promised land. Think about all the things that these believers received. They saw the plagues. Remember the whole, we get, we get Moses go to Pharaoh, let my people go. Sure I will, well maybe not. And he kept saying no or changing his mind. And so God puts one plague after another plague after another until the final uh, curse or plague that comes across, this final miracle that comes across uh, is the death of the firstborn in every family. Not only did they see that, not only did they see Pharaoh finally say, you get out of here and you leave. They saw those miracles and they believed and they obeyed and went with, uh, with uh, Moses toward the promised land. Now, the Bible doesn't really talk about the, those who didn't go, but do you know there is a, there's a rabbinical tradition that only about a, a fifth of those uh, Israelites in Egypt actually left because some of them had worked their way into good places and they were comfortable or they were afraid. We don't know the exact numbers, but there were some who saw all that stuff, but they, they just didn't believe enough and they, they stayed where they were comfortable. But all those who believed and obeyed, they came to the Red Sea. They all thought they were going to die when they saw the, the, the army coming behind them. And of course, God does the miracle through Moses where the Red Sea is parted. They pass through on dry land. And then when the army of Pharaoh comes back, the waves come crashing in. We've all got that mental image of those carriage, all, all those chariots and all those soldiers as that water comes back. And so they were saved by that. 
Not only that, but God began to lead these people around with, uh, with a pillar of fire uh, and with a smoke, with a cloud during the day and the fire at night. God's presence went ahead of them. And God was feeding them and supplying for them miraculously through manna and through all sorts of things. God did miracle after miracle after miracle. And these were the folks that believed and obeyed and followed God. And yet, they were also the folks that started to say, you know what? I don't like things how they are now. I'm not real happy with them because we had some pretty good food. You know, when our masters let us go for a minute, they didn't really think about their masters and the slavery and all the bad stuff. But they started focusing on the negative and the difficult things. And we were in a civilization that was great. And now we're out here on the backside of the desert. And, and they started complaining and murmuring. And their hearts began to grow cold and disbelieving and disobedient to God. And the Bible says that eventually God had had enough of that disbelief, of that hardness of heart, of that disobedience. And God said, you know, I'm very patient. I'm very slow to anger, but you've got me to this point. And now at this point, none of you in this generation who are uh, above 20 years of age, none of you will enter the promised land, except for a select few, those couple of spies who believed, Joshua and Caleb. Everybody else wandered in the desert for 40 years because despite seeing everything that God had done, they began to harden their hearts and disbelief. And God is saying through Hebrews, I know you believers are saying to yourself, I could never do that. God has done such great things in my life, and I believe him fully. And that's exactly what those folks would have said to you when they crossed over the Red Sea. I guarantee if you interviewed every single one of them, is there any way that you would ever turn against God? They'd all say, no way. Not with what he's done in my life. The problem is, we all tend toward becoming, what have you done for me lately in our relationship toward God? Those moments in which God is blessing, God's answering prayers, he's rescuing us from something, or he's just taught us something great, and, and, and we're on fire, that tends to fade very easily. It's not like we make a conscious decision and say, you know what, I want to become more of a mediocre Christian. I'm a little too on fire now. No, we're doing well, but subtly we end up getting away from God. We end up drifting further away from where he wants us to be. Every single one of us needs to admit that we are vulnerable. I'll never forget what... Uh, one of my BSU directors in college, he was telling me about when he was in seminary, one of his professors looked at the class and said, class, how many of you think that you are vulnerable to being involved in a sexual affair one day? I want you to raise your hands if you think you're vulnerable. And the class kind of, you know, did this number and eventually a couple of people said, maybe, maybe. And the professor looked out at the class and said, all the rest of you 
are the ones I'm really worried about. Because if you ever think you're beyond a certain sin, that you are impenetrable, if their pride within you says, I could never do that, and it doesn't just have to be on the issue of an affair, it could be anything. If you ever say, I would never, you have set yourself up for a fall. As God's word tells us that pride goeth before a fall. So the number one thing that you and I have to do every single day is we need to remember that just like these people who'd seen all this amazing stuff God did for that generation coming out of Egypt, just as they were vulnerable, we have to admit to ourselves, we are vulnerable. And so having admitted that, number two, after we've admitted we're vulnerable, we need to check our heart. The second thing that every single one of us need to do is to check our heart. Recently, Apple put on its annual show where they bring out their latest and greatest devices. And did you know that um, they will give you the privilege of paying up to $1,450 for a phone now? Isn't that amazing? Don't you all? Yeah, it is. It is. Don't you all want to go get a new phone because you can pay more than you ever have for even a computer? I mean, it's wonderful. But it's interesting, I was reading a little article about uh, their show, and it said this year, actually, the thing that got the most press was the latest version of the Apple Watch. Because the new Apple Watch has a better, bigger, whatever sensor in it that supposedly can monitor your heart and uh, in a way better than it ever did before. And you can actually get an EKG through your watch that you wear. Now, they say, don't think that it's a good one. Like, normally you got 12 leads on you. This is just one. And they say, actually, they expect a whole bunch of people to show up at their doctor and say, "Uh, it says bad things. And the doctor says, no, it's all right. But this is supposedly revolutionary. Why? Because all of us either already are concerned about our heart or we will be concerned about our heart. That was someone's iPhone right there, I think, just saying hallelujah and amen. Um, But all of us know we can deal with a lot of other stuff. We can deal with achy joints and, and, and all sorts of things. But if our heart, a lot of us in this congregation have been through heart procedures, and that's the one thing we got to take real, real serious. Because if a heart goes, it all goes. And spiritually speaking, it's the same thing. But there's no watch that you can buy, and there's no doctor that you can go to that's going to tell you what your spiritual heart looks like. You have to check yourself. You have to spend time with the Lord, and you have to choose, God, come today, show me. God, show me where I have failed you. God, show me where I have begun to stray. God, show me where my heart and my attitude is wrong. You know, things begin with little things, little bitty things. I caught myself the other day. It's been a few weeks back. Someone, and I'll go ahead and say not a member of this church, so y'all can all still be happy with me. But someone in our community, they aggravated me. I mean, they, they did something. It was downright petty to me and, and just kind of. And it bothered me. Now, it wasn't any great crime. It wasn't any great sin. It was just something that got on my nerves, and I didn't like it. And I began to think in my mind, you know what? There's something I can do, and it's not a crime, and it's not a sin, but it can aggravate them right back. 
that's a terrible thought for a preacher to have. But I was really dwelling on that, and I started to do it. (laughs) I won't tell you if I did or not. But the point is, we can get in the flesh. We can get away from what we are supposed to do real quick. Because while there is a joy in serving the Lord, there is a substitute fake joy when sometimes when we're doing something to somebody and we're getting them back and we're having our way and and we're doing things the way we want to. It's not the real thing because it really doesn't bring us peace and and long-term joy like doing God's things, but it's a substitute. And for a while, it can feel pretty good too when we're starting to get on our own track and do our own thing. And we can do that. You know, nobody wakes up saying, I'm going to be petty today. I'm going to be vindictive today. I'm going to strike back today. But we can ease into that so quickly and simply and easily. And so the second thing that we need to do every single day is check our heart As you come to God and you say your prayers and you say, God, give us this day our daily bread, you know, just as you on a daily basis ask God to provide for you, you also need to ask God, God, look into my heart. Help me to see where I've I've gone astray. Admit you're vulnerable. Check your heart. The third thing you need to do every single day is to encourage one another. You see, if I realize that I'm vulnerable and I need to check my heart because it's very possible that I'm going astray and getting off track, you know what? It's possible that my neighbor, that my family member, that my friends or coworker, maybe they're getting off track too. But guess what? God didn't call me to judge them. He didn't call me to micromanage their life and to get it all up in their business and and question every single decision they make. But he does call me to be my brother's keeper. He does call me to look around and recognize just like I'm under struggle and strain and stress and most people don't even know what's going on. Guess what? That's everybody. Nobody knows what everybody else's business, what's going on behind closed doors, what's even going on in their heart that not even anybody else in their family may know or none of their friends may know. We all deal with struggles. And so while it's not my business to get up in their business, it's not my business to to be that person with the, the spiritual gift of nagging, that's not my business, but it is my business to encourage everybody I can possibly encourage. Because just like I've already admitted my vulnerability and realized I need to check on my heart and let God do good things in it, I can't check into their heart, but what I can do is give them a boost. I can give them a lift. I can encourage them. And so one day, perhaps someone is at that point, and we all get to these points in our life where it's so, we've had so much struggle, so much temptation, maybe we've backslid so much, but we're right at this point where the way that someone acts around us, a simple word or gesture or look might change the direction of our lives. We all come to those points. All of us have been in places where we've said, you know, if it wasn't for so-and-so, I don't know where I would have been. 
If it wasn't for their advice, it wasn't for their encouragement, if it wasn't for their love or faithfulness or commitment, what would I have done? The interesting thing about this whole book of Hebrews, it's all about a bunch of Jewish Christians who are starting to get a lot of pressure from other Jews. Look, just kind of drop this Jesus stuff. I know you're good Jews, but if you could just kind of keep that, you know, to the side and not make such a big deal about it, and they realized they would still be accepted in the Jewish community and everything would work fine. And so they were all being tempted and tested and tried to just gradually let go of their faith. And this, and God, through the author of Hebrews, tells them, you know what? You're all being tested. And for you to stand strong, not only do you need to look after yourself, but you need to look after your brother your sister in Christ, and realize that they are struggling, that they're tempted and tried just like you. And so you need to encourage them and lift them up. We won't go into this because it's a whole other sermon, but if you turn later on to chapter 10 or 11, somewhere in there, he says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of such is, but instead exhort one another, encourage one another. In other words, don't skip out on church, not because you should be worried about what you're going to miss, but you should be concerned about your brothers and sisters in Christ, that they'll miss you, and you should have been that very one who would have encouraged them and who would have brought them back to the place they need to be. Some people believe that if you're a true Christian, you're just going to automatically, if you're really the real thing, you're just going to kind of float through and make it through every temptation and trial no matter what. But you know, the Bible does not bear that out. The Bible is so real. It shows a bunch of people in the Old Testament who saw more miracles than we'll ever see in our life. And yet they wandered away from God. And they, the Bible doesn't say that all those people who wandered in the desert 40 years, that they went to hell. God never says that. But they missed out on all the blessings that God had for them. They didn't enter the promised land. They didn't enjoy all the blessings that God wanted them to enjoy. And so I'm not here saying this morning, well, hey, you better check on yourself and, your, and others because they might just go to hell if they mess up a second. No, I'm not saying that. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're, you're heaven bound. You're on the way. But there is a great truth that just because you are on the way to heaven does not mean that your behavior and your attitudes don't matter. It does not mean you're automatically protected from getting off the right track. Every single one of us is tempted to doubt, to disbelieve, to harden our hearts. We need to admit that. We need to do a daily check on our own hearts. And we need to encourage others so that when they are tempted that we can help them to make it over that temptation as well. Pray with me this morning. Father God, you've called us to do these things today. Not tomorrow, not next week, not eventually, but today. We're to hear your voice. 
And we're to come before you and we're to admit our own neediness, that we are at risk, that we are vulnerable, that we are not above sin or temptation. And that without your strength and your power, we'll fall flat on our face. So God, I ask right now that each of us would enter into prayer. And we admit that to you. God, I ask that you'd show us. We'd open ourselves. Say, God, show us. God, help us. Where I've been going astray. Where my attitude's not been right. I've been unforgiving or unloving or greedy or selfish. I've been controlling. I've been violent. I've been degrading. I've been putting people down with my words. I've been treating others wrongly. Whatever it is, God, give us the grace to be honest. That your kindness would lead us to repentance. And Father, help us to care for our fellow man for brothers and sisters in Christ that may be struggling far more than we could ever imagine. Help us to lift them up and encourage them, knowing they're facing temptations and trials just as we are. Lord, help us now to respond to you and your work in our lives during this invitation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.